This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Next Sunday, we're going to wrap up our Kingdom Builders series uh, by talking about uh, what it looks like to be part of a diverse kingdom. Um, And so kind of the the title of that message is Heaven is a Racist Nightmare. So um, hope you'll be here for that. You're like, are you serious? I kind of am. Um, uh, Clifton Talbert actually is going to come next week and share with us about uh, just what it's like to be part of God's kingdom and the diversity that he calls us to. For those of you who don't know Clifton, he's a longtime member of Christian Chapel. He is our resident uh, Pulitzer Prize-nominated author. Um, so I know there are probably several of us that have that on our resumes too. But um, Clifton's the one we're going to ask to share next week. But uh, Clifton has, has been a mentor of mine since I've been at Christian Chapel and has really helped me understand uh, when it comes to race and, and all the things that are involved there. We have come a very long way in our country, and we also haven't come very far at all. And uh, he, he's just helped me navigate that uh, with a world of grace and wisdom. And so I'm excited to share that with you next Sunday morning. We're going to look at what the scriptures teach us and then really just kind of lean into Clifton's stories and, and learn from him as well. So next Sunday. Today, though, uh, Kingdom Builders, we have been talking this month about what it looks like to invest our lives into the kingdom of God in a way that will matter right now and that will last long after we're gone. So if you've been here every week, you remember back uh, the first Sunday of the year, we looked at Matthew chapter 7, and what Jesus teaches us about building our lives on the right foundation. He taught us that everyone's building something. Everything we build is going to be tested, and so we want to be sure that we are building on the right foundation, right? He gives us the parable of the wise and the foolish builder and tells us the only wise way to live is to take his words, to work them into our lives, and to let them be the thing that we build everything else on. Uh, The week after that, we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and what Jesus teaches us about the connection between our treasure and our heart. And how he teaches us in Matthew 6 that if we make selfish investments, they are going to shrink our heart. If we make kingdom investments, they will expand our heart. They will expand our trust in the Lord. And we talked about that that really unique principle Jesus teaches us, that if you want to love something, you need to invest in it. Right? We do it the other way. We normally say, once I love it, then I'll give to it. Jesus says, no, give to it, and then you'll love it. And he teaches us this idea here, kind of the circle of reinforcement of where your treasure is there, your heart will be. So we talked about if we want our hearts to be in the kingdom where Jesus intends for them to be, then as we give our treasure, our time, our energy, our money, and our talents, as we put those things into the kingdom, then our heart follows, which causes us to put more of our treasure into it, which causes our heart to follow even more. And we did talk too about how this can work both ways, either for selfish investments or for kingdom investments. And so if we're standing kind of on the outside today thinking, my heart is not all into the kingdom, well, as Christ saves us, part of our response with that is to say, okay, now I'm going to put my treasure there. And Jesus says, as we put our treasure there, our heart is going to follow. And then last week, we had Dr. George Wood come and talk to us about how our temporary resources can have an eternal impact in ways that are beyond um, our ability to understand. And and he just told us so many great stories from the last hundred years of the the missions movement within the Assemblies of God and how that has worked itself out. If if you weren't able to be here with us last week, um, I would really strongly encourage you to go to ChristianChapel.com, watch that video of Dr. Wood's message, or listen to it on the the podcast and iTunes. It's just tremendously encouraging for us that what we do today 
won't just matter in five or ten years, but long, long after we're gone, seeds we sow in the kingdom will continue to bear fruit. This morning, we're going to see what it looks like to jump into these kingdom investments, how when God presents us with an opportunity, um, it is a sign that he has been arranging the circumstances of the world, the circumstances of our life, and they culminate in these kind of seize the day moments where we want to jump right in and be part of his kingdom. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Esther chapter 4. Uh, We're going to look at that. Instead of me summarizing the story of Esther for you, though, I want to actually show you a video from the people at The Bible Project. If you're unfamiliar with The Bible Project, uh, you can go to YouTube later and just type in The Bible Project. It'll take you to their page. They have done these amazing introductions to every book of the Bible. They've highlighted some of the big themes of the Bible. If you're new to the faith, it's an excellent resource to start to learn the stories of the Bible and how it all fits together. Parents, it's a great resource to use for your kids. And if you're like me, most of the stuff you use to teach your kids, you wind up teaching yourself in the process. So it's the Bible Project. You can look it up on YouTube. Uh, But we're going to turn our attention to the screens and get a quick introduction to the story of Esther. The book of Esther, it's one of the more exciting and curious books in the Bible. The story is set over 100 years after the Babylonian exile of the Israelites from their land. And while some Jews did return to Jerusalem, remember Ezra and Nehemiah, many did not. And so the book of Esther is about a Jewish community living in Susa, the capital city of the ancient Persian Empire. The main characters in this story are two Jews, Mordecai and then his niece Esther. And then there's the king of Persia, who's something of a drunken pushover in this story. And then there's the Persian official Haman, the cunning villain. Now, this is a curious book in the Bible, mainly for the fact that God is never even mentioned, not once, which might strike you as kind of odd. I mean, isn't the Bible about God? But this is a brilliant technique by the author, who's anonymous, by the way. It's an invitation to read this story looking for God's activity, and there are signs of it everywhere. The story is full of very odd, quote, coincidences and ironic reversals, and it all forces you to see God's purpose at work but behind the scenes. Let's just dive into the story. The book opens with the king of Persia throwing two elaborate banquet feasts that last a total of 187 days. And it's all for the grandiose purpose of displaying his greatness and splendor. On the last day of the banquet feast, he's really drunk, and he demands that his wife, Queen Vashti, appear at the party to show off her beauty. She refuses, and so in a drunken rage, the king deposes Vashti and makes the silly decree that all Persian men should now be the masters of their own homes. Then he holds a beauty pageant because he wants to find a new queen. This is like a really bad soap opera. But it's right here that we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. Esther hides her Jewish identity and enters the beauty pageant and wins. And the king is so obsessed with Esther that he elevates her to become the new queen of Persia. Now after this, and even more serendipitous, is the fact that Mordecai just happens to overhear two royal guards plotting to murder the king. And so he informs Esther, who in turn informs the king, and Mordecai gets credit for saving the king's life. Now right here from the beginning, God's not mentioned anywhere, but this all seems providentially ordered. What is it that God's up to? You have to keep reading. We're next introduced to Haman, who's not actually a Persian. He's called an Agagite. He's a descendant of the ancient Canaanites. Remember for Samuel chapter 15. The king elevates Haman to the highest position in the kingdom, and he demands that everybody kneel before Haman. 
Well, when Mordecai sees Haman, he refuses to kneel, which of course fills Haman with rage. And when he finds out that Mordecai's Jewish, Haman successfully persuades the king to enact this crazy decree to destroy all of the Jewish people. And to decide the date of the Jews' annihilation, Haman rolls the dice. A die is called pur in Hebrew. Tuck that away for later. Eleven months later, on the 13th of Adar, all the Jews will die. Haman and the king then have a drinking banquet to celebrate their really horrible decision. So the focus now turns to Mordecai and Esther, who are the only hope for the Jewish people. They make a plan that Esther is going to reveal her Jewish identity to the king and ask him to reverse the decree. But approaching the king without a royal request is, according to Persian law, an act worthy of death. So in a key statement, Mordecai, he's confident that even if Esther remains silent, that deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. And then Mordecai wonders aloud. He says, who knows? Maybe you've become queen for this very moment. Esther responds with bravery, and she purposes to go to the king with her amazing words, if I perish, I perish. All right, so spoiler alert, if you read through the rest of Esther, um, God works through Esther's life and delivers the people, uh, the Jews who are still living in Persia in an incredibly miraculous way. Uh, The Jews go on to observe this as one of their, their kind of festivals every year, remembering God's deliverance. And the the most famous line from Esther here is in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, where Mordecai says to her, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance of the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Now, the, the story of Esther is a story of God building his kingdom even when the circumstances are not ideal at all. In fact, her story is full of situations where God seems entirely absent, and yet he's at work building his kingdom. And so we're going to look at just two quick ideas uh, that Esther's story teaches us about God and the way he is at work with his kingdom in the world and the way he invites us into that. So the, the first thing Esther's story teaches us is that God is always building his kingdom. He never stops, right? The enemy is opposing it. The enemy is doing everything he can to destroy it, uh, both in our world and in your life specifically. But God is always at work building his kingdom, and he's bigger, he's stronger. His kingdom is going to be built. It's going to be established. This is what Jesus later says when he says that the church will be established and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That no matter what designs the enemies ha- the enemy has, they will ultimately be defeated because God is greater and God is stronger. Now, when you think of Esther's life, there are several examples of why she would think God was absent in her life. First of all, she was an orphan. Her mother and father had died, putting her in a vulnerable position. She's taken in by her cousin Mordecai, who raises her as his own. But even though she's provided for, that doesn't necessarily solve all of the issues, all of the hurt, all of the pain from losing her father and mother. Mordecai and Esther are also, uh, in a sense, spiritual orphans. They are Jews living outside of the promised land. So the the Jews had been taken into exile into Persia, but with Ezra and Nehemiah, they had been allowed to return back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the walls and rebuild their nation. Well, there was a large group that went to do that, but there were also Jews who chose to remain in Persia. 
We don't know why, but it seems likely that they enjoyed the comfort and security of the life they knew versus the uncertainty of a life of returning to Israel. So Mordecai and Esther now live in a foreign place outside of the promised land and are unsure if the promises of God to preserve and protect his people still apply to them when they have willfully chosen to not go back to the promised land, but to stay in the land of exile. And then there's this, this whole Esther story of how she uh, comes into this role as the queen. Now, uh, this, for many of us, we understand that this story has been given the American romantic treatment, right? That this is kind of the, the ultimate Cinderella type story. Uh, several years ago, we preached through Esther, and I had a couple people that came up to me afterwards and said, hey, thanks for ruining that story for me. The story of Esther is not Cinderella and Prince Charming, right? The story of Esther is not the story you want for your daughter. The story of Esther is the story of a perverted, drunken king who decides to establish a contest to take advantage of the beautiful young women in his kingdom. And he has them prepared and trained. He uses them for his pleasure. And then he disregards them to live this life of isolation as concubines. And of that group, one of them will become queen. This is not an award you want to win. It's not a place you want to be. In fact, many Jewish rabbis for centuries have said that Mordecai acted dishonorably towards Esther by allowing her to be part of this process. That he should have hidden her away, he should have ran away with her, he should have given up his life to prevent her from having to undergo this uh, just horrible process. And yet Esther not only is made a part of it, but she actually is the one who wins the award that no Jewish girl would want. And so throughout this whole story, it seems that God's kingdom is shrinking and the enemy's kingdom is advancing. And then on top of all of this, we find Haman coming in uh, and taking a personal vendetta against one man and applying it to all the Jews who remain in the Persian Empire and saying, because you won't bow down to me, I'm now going to kill all of them. And yet in the midst of it, God is building his kingdom through poor choices, through people not doing the things that we think they should do, the things that good Jews would have done. God is at work. And, and in the midst of this, God's not only building his kingdom, but God is inviting Esther and God is inviting us to continue to be part of his kingdom. You know, Esther and Mordecai would have had a lot of questions. Why had her parents died? Why was she uh, chosen to be part of this contest? Why was she chosen to be the queen? And when they discover Haman's plot to, to kill all of the Jews, it's like it suddenly everything falls into place and everything makes sense. Right? And they begin to see it's for this exact moment. And so Mordecai finds out and, and he makes it clear to Esther, God is inviting you to be part of his salvation plan for his people. And Esther's response is, is the same as many of us. It is a, a response of fear and a response of uncertainty. See, when God invites us into his kingdom, what should be this beautifully exciting moment oftentimes feels scary and uncertain because an invitation to his kingdom is also an invitation to lay down our kingdom. 
And for Esther, though this life might not have been what she longed for as a girl, at least now as queen, she has a certain amount of of respectability, a certain amount of security, a certain amount of safety. And for her to come to the king is to put her life at risk. Not only because he hasn't called for her and she's only allowed in his presence when she's summoned, but also because to come and say, hey, my people are being threatened is to reveal that she is a Jew. It's to step out of her identity as a pagan ruler and into her identity as a daughter of God. You and I, as as God continues to invite us into his kingdom, we face the same choice. He's inviting us to take our time, our talent, our resources, our energy, and to move away from the way our culture says we should use those and invest those for our power, for our pleasure, for our leisure, and to lay that aside and instead step into our identity as his sons and as his daughters and to walk in this new life he's laying out for us. See, in his grace, God doesn't just build his kingdom, but he invites us to be part of it. When we receive those kind of such a time as this invitation, it has far more to do with God's sovereignty than it does with our skills. When we're invited to invest in his kingdom, it's because he has already been at work in a certain area. I mean, you heard the story that Angela and Corey just told, right? God calls two missionaries from Oklahoma to go and serve in central Mexico to lead a man from India working on his PhD to faith in Christ, right? I mean, is there any more clear example of, hey, for such a time as this? Now, if Corey and Angela had known years ago when they were first getting ready to head to Mexico that that moment was going to happen, it would have filled them with hope and they would have longed for that day. But for many of us, God has started us on a path and all along the way, we're going to have these such a time as this moments. But to get to each one of those requires faithfulness right here, right now, where he's called us to be and with what he's called us to do. Right? It's, it's easy to think in, in Esther's case of like, well, of course she would step up. She has an opportunity to save her people. But for years before that, she was being obedient to Mordecai. She was engaging in, in these things that maybe she wasn't real sure about. She was trusting God to provide for her, to save her in the midst of some very dark circumstances. And that faithfulness all along the way led her to that moment of, for such a time as this, you have been raised up to be the arm of salvation for your people. Right, we, we see these stories played out all over. A couple weeks ago, I received a, an email from one of the other missionaries we support who lives in a, a country that kind of borders the Middle East. And they were sharing about how they have, they've served in this nation for nine years now. For the nine years that they've served there, they have constantly been praying, Lord, we don't want to just make a disciple, but we want to make disciples who make disciples of others. And they live in a Muslim nation where it's very difficult to share their faith, very difficult to um, engage in any form of evangelism. So it all has to come through relationship building. And Lauren sent us an email a couple weeks ago. Uh, the, the lady there, they've blurred out her, her face. She is an Iranian believer who's moved for work into this nation. About 18 months ago, she was in the process of leaving Islam feeling like there is no truth here, there is no salvation, there's no hope, there's no comfort for me. And in this process of searching, she became friends with Lauren, 
Again, God in his sovereignty takes a lady from her home nation into another, calls a person from the United States, places them in another, brings them together. And where one is saying, I'm searching for truth, the other is saying, I found the truth. His name is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And so they begin this friendship, and she begins to share with her who Jesus is. And, and this Iranian lady places her faith in Christ, but in that she also begins to reach out to the other Muslim believers that live in her neighborhood. She begins to take the, the disciple, uh, discipleship materials that Lauren is giving to her, and she's translating them into her native language and sharing them on social media with her friends and family back in Iran. And of this large group of followers that she's sharing faith with, she's intentionally discipling three other Iranian ladies who still are in Iran. And so in the process of all of this, there are all these such a time as this moments where our prolonged faithfulness, right? Just kind of this long obedience in the same direction. This just do the next right thing. Do what God is telling. Invest, give, pray, go. As we're obeying to do these things, all along the way, God is revealing this is why, this is why, this is why. And it's not just one for such a time as this moment, but there are repeated moments all along the way where salvation has come. Right? And, and when you give through Kingdom Builders at Christian Chapel, you get to be part of those stories. Right? Because you gave, our missionary over there doesn't have to worry about her rent or how she's going to feed her kids or if she can send them to school. She is set free to minister to the people God has provided to her. Corey and Angela, because of your faithful giving, are able to invest in the lives of college students as their full-time job and see God's kingdom come and see his work established. I could tell you stories of how that continues to happen in the little villages of the Himalayas in India, where missionaries that we support travel village to village sharing the gospel with people who have never heard it one time in their life. I could tell you of how men and women across India, they have kind of this rising middle class, and so our missionaries are starting CrossFit gyms and coffee shops, right? Nothing's more middle class than working out and then drinking too much coffee. And so our missionaries are, are using these two things to introduce people to Jesus. And in the midst of workouts and over coffee and pastries, they're asking truths, they're asking questions, and they are coming to faith in Christ. The same thing is happening in college campuses in Mexico. It's happening in small towns in northeast Brazil. It's happening in refugee camps across Europe. It's happening in the, the bush of Zambia where missionaries from our church are sharing the gospel with people who are then making disciples in even more remote villages. These such a time as this moments happen right here in our building through Crisis Pregnancy Outreach. When, when you give the Kingdom Builders, you're supporting their efforts to provide uh, care and love to women experiencing unplanned pregnancies. It happens through Connected Kids, an organization that we host at Christian Chapel who works with kids from trauma backgrounds. They meet every Tuesday and Thursday upstairs in our Impact Center, and they run a preschool play therapy group where kids from some of the most horrific backgrounds you could imagine. I mean, levels of abuse that would turn your heart inside out and are happening right here in our city. But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they come and they play. And in the process of play, God is bringing healing to their souls. He's bringing peace to their minds. He's equipping their caregivers with tools to help them. And his kingdom is coming and his will is being accomplished. 
It's happening through Royal Family Kids Camp and Mentoring Program, where children in foster care are hearing from adults in our congregation. God sees you, God knows you, God loves you, and God has a plan for you. And as they experience this, this wholeness and safety from adults, it opens their heart to see the same thing from the Lord. See, God is always inviting us into his plan. For some of us, though, we, we even, you might hear that invitation this morning and think, well, yeah, maybe for everyone else here because they look like they're pretty good people. But you don't know my story, and you don't know what I've done. And again, I think this is where Esther's story is so tremendously encouraging to us. You don't have to be a perfect person to be part of God, building God's kingdom, right? Esther was a Jew living like a pagan. She was a child of the promised land, willfully living in exile. She had known what God had offered to her and said, no thanks, I'll stay here. For many of us, I think there are times we feel like, yeah, God, he does invite me to his kingdom, but I told him no one time and he's not ever going to want to have me again. But the whole message of the gospel is because you said no, he keeps coming to you. But Jesus didn't come for perfect people to build his kingdom. He came to build his kingdom out of imperfect people. He came for the dead, the dying, the sick, the hopeless, and the helpless. He came for you and me with good news and grace. And because of that, his invitation is now, now build my kingdom with me. Come and do it with me. And that invitation is important for us to understand because I think it can come off sometimes kind of like a, a guilty invitation where we can feel like, you know, you hear that line, who knows, but that you've come to this point for such a time as this. And if you don't do it, the world is going to hell and their blood's on your hands, right? I, I don't know if you ever heard that. I, I heard those messages a few times, right? And I remember going to school in junior high and high school and looking around and, and honestly, like I was kind of scared to share my faith. You know, my biggest concern was how many of these whiteheads are going to explode before I get home tonight. I wasn't really worried about like, how do I defend the faith to these pagan 12-year-olds? You know, but, but then I would go to school and I'd, I'd heard some of these messages at church or at a youth camp or something like that. And I would look around and just think, oh, Jesus, I have so much blood on my hands. I'm so scared to talk to them. I'm so afraid to tell them. And even, like, I remember even graduating high school and, and feeling some real feelings of guilt of, man, there were some buddies, like, I, I brought them to church once or twice, but I, I didn't do what I should have done. And you know what? I, like, I, I'm not saying this so that you'll use it as an excuse to disobey God's calling. But I'm saying it to, to remind you of God's grace. I can think of two buddies specifically that all through high school, I felt like, man, I, I need to do a better job. Man, I need to really live my faith out in front of them. Man, I need to not just live it, but I need to start talking to them about it. And one of them, I invited to church one time. I felt like, yes, I did it. It was our freshman year of high school, and he kind of walked down to front, and he made this response to the Lord, and it was this really cool moment. And then he never came to church with me again, never did anything again, just kind of went on his party way. Another buddy, I never invited anything, because any time I would say, hey, he was, you want to come to church, his response was always, no thanks, I'm Catholic. And that was like his get-out-of-invitation-free card. And so when I graduated, I remember leaving Topeka, and, and I never moved back after I graduated high school, and leaving and thinking, man, God, I forgive me, I missed those opportunities. 
And then with the beauty of social media, with, with these two especially, I've been able to kind of follow them since then and see how in, in college with both of them, God captured their heart and radically saved them. I mean, there were their, their first profile pictures back when Facebook came out were these baptism pictures. And it was an amazing reminder to me that my disobedience might slow God's plan, but it will not stop God's plan. Right? He... He loves those guys, Wes and Eric. He loved them so much. He wasn't going to leave their eternal security in my stupid hands. Right? Which thank God he didn't. Thank God he's not putting that on you this morning. And so in a moment, we're going to make some kingdom builders response. But here's what I want you to know. Don't do this out of guilt. Don't do this out of, man, if I don't, his whole kingdom's going to fall apart. God's invitation has more to do with his sovereignty than our skills. And his invitation has more to do with bringing his blessing and his glory in our lives than it does with us suddenly being his all-star on his team. If you won't pray, God's going to inspire someone else to do it. If you won't go, he's going to call someone else. If you won't give, he's going to enable someone else. Why? Because the gates of hell will not prevail against his kingdom. And he's not dependent on you or me, but he does invite us into it. Mordecai tells Esther, he says, hey, relief and and salvation is coming. It is coming. It's this certain statement. God is not going to forsake his people. It's coming. He says, but if you don't do your part, you and your father's family will perish. Now, there's some debate here about is Mordecai just telling Esther, hey, if you don't step up, eventually you're going to be found out anyways. And as a Jew, you're going to die. Or there's a darker interpretation that says, no, Mordecai is actually threatening Esther's life. And he's telling her, if you don't step up, I will kill you myself. And now, now we don't know which way to go with that, but it does present us with something Jesus talks to us about in Matthew 6 and 7. This idea of you have a life and you get to choose how to invest it. And there are two kingdoms to invest it in, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And if you choose to make selfish investments in your pleasure, your power, and your leisure, they're going to spoil, they're going to fade, they're going to, be die, they're going to die, they're going to be stolen from you. Right? They're, they're going to shrivel up and die. They will die with you. It's the same message Mordecai gives. But if you choose to invest in God's kingdom, your investments will bring light and life to the world, light and life to your heart, pointing us again to this idea when Jesus is encouraging Put your treasure into my kingdom. It's not because he wants something from us. It's because he wants something for us. When we invest in his kingdom, our heart follows. And as our heart follows, it brings light and it brings life to us. And what we've had the joy of doing at Christian Chapel, and, and what I hope many of you will join us in this year, is the joy of knowing when I invest in God's kingdom, especially to reach people in places I will never go, to be part of their salvation story, my heart begins to follow. And as your heart follows into God's kingdom, your heart gets bigger, it gets broader, it gets more expansive. You begin to have a more uh, welcoming, a more loving, a more generous heart because you're continually being remade in the image of God. And so this year, we're all going to have these such a time as this moments. 
Right? Not just with our decision this morning of if we're going to give or not, but you're going to have these opportunities at work. You're going to have them in your family. You're going to have them in your neighborhood where God is divinely orchestrating the circumstances of your life to be part of writing his story in the life of another person. And my encouragement to you this year is every time you stand at that space, just go for it. Right? And, and hopefully we'll go into it with a little more joy than Esther had. Esther said, okay, I'll do it. If I die, I die. Right? Hopefully we have a little more faith and a little more hope of, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I'll walk into it. I believe that what you call me to do, you're going to provide for. And as we do, 2018 will be a year where we get to be part of God's salvation story in the lives of people we've been praying for, in the lives of people we don't know, here in our community, and all around the world. And these stories will bring light and life not only to those who experience them firsthand, but also to those of us who are hearing them secondhand. And as we tell those stories, it reminds us God is building his kingdom. And he's inviting us to be a part of it for our benefit, not for his. Just a moment, I'm going to tell you about our Kingdom Builders program and how you can participate in that this year. But before I do, I just want to pray for us that that this year will be a year where we respond to those such a time as this invitations. So Lord, we come to you today and just pray that your spirit will be with us, that you will lead us and you will guide us, and you will help us to take advantage of every moment that you have. I pray for opportunities we have to give and to go, that you would help us to obey and to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. So kingdom builders... Uh, some of you have been asking us what that's all about, so I'm going to take a couple minutes here uh, before the band starts and lead you through kind of what that is. Kingdom Builders is um, an expansion of our old faith promise giving model at Christian Chapel. So if you've been around a while, you're familiar with the faith promise for missions. It's where you ask God, what would you have me give to support missions? Um, over the past year, the board and I have been talking and praying about how can we expand this and increase our investment both around the world and also here in our community. The model we feel like the Lord has led us to is this kingdom builders model. And our goal for 2018 is to raise $300,000 over and above our regular tithe and offering. All right, so this is over and above giving, and it's, it's a mechanism to advance God's kingdom here in our community, in the next generation, and all around the world. So of that $300,000, there are three buckets that we have in Kingdom Builders. There are global missions, local ministry, and next generation ministry. And I'm going to walk you through these here in just a moment so you can kind of see some of the amounts and how those works. But, but our plan is to uh, fund Kingdom Builders in two tiers. The first tier includes the monthly support of over 50 missionaries and ministries working in 30 nations around the world, Royal Family Kids Camp, and crisis pregnancy outreach. When those three things are fully funded, we will then tackle all of the other projects that are included in Kingdom Builders. So I'm going to walk you through these. Global missions um, of that $300,000 represents $170,000. $120,000 of that is our monthly support of missionaries. Uh, Missiologists continue to tell us that the number one most effective way for the local church to advance the kingdom around the world is by giving to missionaries who are living and working full-time in those areas. And so each month, we're sending out checks to 50 ministries and missionaries working around the world who are doing exactly that. This also includes money once we've hit that goal to fund evangelism and healing festivals in Brazil, 
seminary construction in Belgium. I had a chance last fall to visit a seminary in Belgium that's doing amazing work to reach refugees and and continue to establish a church in nations that have turned their back on the Lord. Uh, It includes business as mission projects in India with Live Dead, the the CrossFit gyms and the coffee shops. It includes water wells in Africa with Ben Wade, one of our missionaries that uh, was raised up from within Christian Chapel. And it also includes um, a big chunk of just what we're calling spontaneous blessings, just saying, hey, we believe the Lord is going to lead us to some partnerships in 2018 that we don't know about yet. And so as he does, we want to be able to answer those. We want to be able to meet those needs. So $170,000 for global missions. Uh, That next category there is local ministry. That includes $100,000. $70,000 of that is for Royal Family Kids Camp and Mentoring Club. Uh, If you've been around, you're familiar with that. If not, it's a ministry Christian chapel provides for children in foster care. Seven to 11-year-olds, we take them to a free week of camp in the summer. And then during the school year, we have an ongoing mentoring club that meets with them. Last year, we took 76 campers to camp with us. We have 30 who are involved in the mentoring club. And this currently seems to be just kind of a a wave of blessing that God has brought to Christian Chapel. I mean, Don and Eddie were just telling me in the the last week, uh, we've done royal family signups for two weeks and already have 77 people who've signed up to go to a full week of camp, which is awesome. And so I told him, great, now let's pray for kids and let's pray for money, right? And and with those two things, we're going to continue to make a big impact. So 70,000 of that is for royal family. It also includes money for crisis pregnancy outreach, teen challenge, alcohol, and drug rehabilitation programs, Uh, Crossover Community Impact is an amazing organization in North Tulsa that we've been partnering with over the past year, uh, just bringing community uh, transformation through a model called Christian Community Development, and then also local elementary school. Uh, We've had elementary schools, Jarman, a local one here where the principals told us you can come do whatever you want whenever you want. Uh, We have other elementary schools throughout the city that different members of ours are serving with, primarily in Tulsa Public Schools, with Child Evangelism Fellowship, again, where the doors have been open for them to come in and to lead uh, Bible clubs before and after school. So we want to continue that investment. The third bucket of kingdom builders is next generation investments. And so this is kind of a a new space for us as a church, but again, one where we feel is very much in line with our DNA of who we are and also seems to be an area that the Lord is providing. So in that $30,000, it includes ministry internships for future church leaders. Uh, Three of these guys back here behind me are currently part of our worship internship program at Christian Chapel. It's an opportunity for us to develop future church leaders. We do that each summer by inviting interns to come and to serve with us. Uh, Some of you are aware, many many probably aren't. Pastor Cameron, our youth pastor, uh, came to Christian Chapel first in 2009 as an intern and then came back two years ago and has been serving as our youth pastor since then. This also includes camp scholarships for kids and teenagers. As the Lord continues to grow those ministries at Christian Chapel, we want to make sure that every kid has the opportunity to experience God at camp and to build these relationships. It includes student mission trips, scholarships. We have uh, high school and college students all year long that are going on missions trips, both with Christian Chapel and with other organizations. We want to be part of that. We'll tell you more about that tonight at the Chili Cook-Off. And then it also includes support of Connected Kids, the organization I told you about earlier, run by uh, our own Dr. Barbara Sorrells, who helps kids from extremely traumatic backgrounds and, and is just doing some miraculous things. We're going to be telling you some stories from Connected Kids over the next month or so that are they're just going to be tremendously encouraging to you. So when you add all of those up, global missions, local missions, 
And next generation investment, that brings us to $300,000. Now, I I told you last week to please take some time to pray and to ask God uh, what he would have you to do and how you can participate in that with us. So there are several ways you can give. You can give through just kind of disciplined giving, knowing, okay, we can afford to give this amount. Uh, You can give by making some sacrificial choices of we're going to give this up so that we can give more to be part of establishing God's kingdom. Or you can give what's called uh, faith giving, where you're just saying, hey, Lord, I I feel like you put this amount in my heart, and I really don't know where it's going to come from, but I'm going to write it down and trust you to provide it. Our ushers have a few of these uh, commitment cards that they're going to come and pass out to you as well. There's a spot on the back where you can fill out that information. Uh, The reason we do this is is twofold. First of all, um, we're very good at forgetting God's answers to prayer. And so commitment cards like this provide us with an opportunity to say, Lord, this is what I believe you're speaking to me. And then at the end of the year, you'll receive a giving statement from Christian Chapel, and you can see exactly how the Lord has provided and how he's answered that. So my encouragement to you is fill that out and then snap a picture of it with your phone or write down, write down your amount on, on another sheet of paper that you have with you and keep that somewhere. You know, for some of you, it might be a, a hybrid model of giving. I know for Angie and I, as we've been spending time talking about it this week, we felt like this is what the Lord said uh, to give that we can afford. And then there's another amount that it's kind of like, okay, we'll trust you to do that. And so we on here, we, we're just writing out this is what we're going to give each month. And then in that annual amount, we wrote another amount that just says, Lord, when you provide it, we'll give it. And we're, we're trusting that if you put that in our heart, you're going to do it. So if you'll fill those out for us, in just a moment, um, I'm going to move a, a bucket down here, and we are going to receive those together. Um, you know, we really never do the walk to the front and bring your offering at Christian Chapel, and I, I know many of you, including me, are thankful for that. Um, but I, I do think there are opportunities for us to celebrate our opportunity to invest in God's kingdom. And for, for many of us, this card represents a such a time as this moment for 2018. So as you're filling that out, once you finish it up, the band's going to lead us in a song. We'll have it down here. You can come and, and just drop it in with your spouse. Um, I, I put mine in earlier, so it's already been seated and ready to go. Um, the, the bucket will hold the card I checked. So uh, we're good to do that. But if you will stand with me, I want to pray for you. And then the band is going to lead us in a final response song as we make our Kingdom Builders pledges for 2018. God, we thank you that in your grace, you not only build your kingdom in us, but you choose to build it through us. So Lord, you you see the amounts that have been written on these cards. Lord, you see for for some of us, this is a a dramatic step of faith. Saying, Lord, we, we don't know where this is coming from, but we're trusting that you do. For others, Lord, this is the the first time they're really engaging in this over and above type of giving and trusting that that you will take their treasure and that their heart will follow. So, Lord, I pray for each one of us, God, that you would help us to respond in obedience. More than that, Lord, we ask that the gifts we will offer to you of our time, of our prayers, of our willingness to go and our willingness to give, that you would take all of these things and you would multiply them for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, that the money we give would fund powerful and effective ministry throughout the world. That the prayers we pray 
would be part of your kingdom coming and your will being accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray as as we're trusting you to provide so that we can give, that you would come and do it again in our lives, that you would provide for us as you have provided for others. And that, Lord, you would just give us joyful hearts that give generously, that give regularly, and that our hearts just are, are totally surrendered to your kingdom. And we get to see your kingdom come and your will be done. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.